All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 64, David Camp episode of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger, alongside Frank Saravalli, and the Rundown, of course, is brought to you by Fantrax. Go to fantrax.com slash DFO Rundown. You can register your team. You can win an autographed Nathan McKinnon jersey. Now, fan tracks, for those who don't know what it is, if you're a fantasy player, you want to set up your league, maybe you want to be the commissioner, you want to control things, you can set up your league, challenge your buddies, whether you play in a keeper league, whether you just play in a one-time draft league, dynasty league, they got it all. Fan tracks, that's T-R-A-X dot com. Frank, how you doing? I'm good, Jay. Were you the commissioner in your fantasy leagues? I feel like you might want to have a little control there. Uh, you know what? I'm only I'm actually only in one big fantasy football league, and uh, I'm the uh, I'm the associate commish. I got voted the associate, <laughs> but we have our our commissioner, and I wouldn't want to be the commissioner of our fantasy football league. It's quite serious, number one, and there's a lot of work to it. It's got to organize everything, so I just get to rule on trades to to ensure that there's no collusion amongst guys because there's a few degenerates. So uh, you know you always have to question some trades, but that that's quite pretty much serious. It. Like, doesn't that defeat the purpose? What do you mean? Well, like if if the league is quite serious, like isn't it supposed to be for fun? 
Well, it's 500 bones a guy to play. So it's, okay. uh, you know, first place gets, I don't know, I think it's like 3,500 at the end of the year. Plus there's lots of other stuff. It's more the side bets, to be honest. I think, I think we have more side bets after the draft, as far as, you know, which team you think you outscore points and stuff than there's actually there. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but I wouldn't want to be the commissioner. There's no chance. If, if our commissioner stepped down, I would not volunteer. Okay. All right. I got it. But I do like, you know, I, I like to keep on top of things, but no, being the commish is not, uh, I don't, uh, uh, Batman doing it for, for 32 owners who all have very different, uh, ideas. I could think at times would be uh, rather stressful. We do it in a, in a, in a group of 12 where let's be honest, uh, there, there's really not that much to, to argue about other than if you think that everybody thinks the trade they didn't make is bad. That's what I always laugh about. Right. I, I rare, I think I've only ever vetoed one trade in 12 years. Um, because it was painfully, obviously, uh, biased. But every other one, I'm like, hey, if you can screw over another GM because he's not smart, I don't blame the smart GM in that case. Right. So, yeah, you just let almost everything go through as long as there's no collusion. I got 100%. It. Like, all you got to do is look at the NHL. Um, P- Peter Shirelli can show you that sometimes guys can make bad trades. It happens. Uh, I mean, look, almost every GM at some point or another has a yeah. black mark on their record. Oh, one that doesn't pan out or, or, you know, down the road. But there are some at the time of the trade is made and you're pardoned like, what? Why did yeah. you do that? But the thing is, Frank, as a, one person's garbage is another man's treasure. This is true. Trash is another man's treasure. Yeah. So now um, you were just uh, back from Chicago. At the uh, well, what's the official term that you guys? The you NHL, NHLPA. North American player media tour. They usually do one in Europe and one in the U S this year with COVID uh, just actually just happy to get the player media. So we're back going again. They did one, one day stop in Toronto for all the Canadian teams. And then all the players from the U S based teams, they all came to Chicago uh, for a three to four day jaunt. Lots of stuff going on with two new rights holders in the mix, ESPN and Turner, um, you know, a lot of those gladiator shots you see, the shots in the dark rink and, and all the other stuff that you see in promos, that all gets filmed uh, during that week. And so there's an on-ice portion, then there's an off-ice portion. You go through different rooms. We call it the car wash. Uh, Daily Faceoff had us set up with a couple other uh, traditional media outlets. We shared a room, and uh, we were really happy to be there. But, you know, guys sort of – you stay in one room – and every 15 minutes, a guy from another team comes in and, and pops in and stays with you for 15 before moving on to the next one. So for them, it's like a car wash. They just keep going through. Um, and, yeah, you get to talk to a lot of different prominent players from around the league. So this is a great week for, for Daily Faceoff and also some news. Uh, we should bring in Tyler Uremchuk, who is with us uh, at the Player Media Tour and, and got a chance to ask a lot of questions. Uh, a lot of which will be turning into some some YouTube content uh, down the line. But Tyler, what was your impression? Uh, well, I mean, like for me, I've never really been to an NHL sanctioned media event like that. So that was just a cool experience in general to kind of see how things sort of operate at those behind the scenes. And uh, yeah, we got some cool sort of more fun content um, that, that I was able to ask some players about that will turn into some YouTube videos here uh, before the beginning of the season. But for me, I just thought... You know, you always kind of hear from an outsider perspective that, you know, all players hate doing media. Players just give cliche answers, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't actually find that to be the case. I thought every guy or pretty much every guy who rolled through our kind of station was like really personable. And I think 
in a weird way. And we talked about this with a few of them, Frank. I think some of them are kind of a little bit happy to have media back face to face and they don't have to do the whole like, sorry, your Zoom call cut out kind of shit. Right. And oh. I think I think that's part of it. Um, part of it, too, is like they also know going in like I have two or three full days of media. I better be on my game, so to speak. It's not like, you know, it's day 57 in the dressing room and you're doing the same scrum over and over again, looking at the same people. It was new, it was fresh first time in a couple of years. And, and in addition to that um, you're right. I think a couple guys, although they probably liked getting a break more often last season with the zoom environment, you know, Hey, I only have to do media one day this week or two days this week uh, that it just makes life easier for a lot of people, including teams and PR staffs to, uh, have the the media just enter the room if possible. Now, see, th- this is why, Frank, I should be the commissioner. Because when we welcome in Tyler to the woodjerseys.com <laughs> studio, okay, brought to you by Wood Jersey. So thanks for coming in, Ty. And I uh, know our friends at uh, Wood Jerseys, it's awesome. Uh, Frank's got the Toronto one. I got the uh, Boston one. Uh, Ty's got a special one coming. I don't, I don't know where it is. It I'm must be. Must be very, very special. But uh, if you want to get any team, you can go check it out, woodjerseys.com. They got them all there. Now, the other thing about the players being personal, I I do think at the same time, the smart players who understand the league still a business as much as they love hockey. And hockey, especially in the U.S., you have a few new partners. You want to give your fans like every – I don't know how many people in my life in the last six months are suddenly F1 fans. I don't know if it's the same for you, Frank, in the U.S., but like my wife literally Sunday mornings now, she she records the race because it usually starts at seven. So she doesn't want to be up there. But now we have breakfast downstairs. My son, who loves cars, like I've taken him out to racing since he's four. He's just like a race freak. So he loves it. We now have our five picks between the three of us every week. And it's only because of that they got to know the people. Right. It's it's not the sport of racing that drew you in. It's it was the documentary on Netflix. And I think I would hope that NHL players recognize like there are some guys with really good personalities and lots of fun stories. Fans who are like people who are listening to our pod are diehard hockey fans. We, we know that. So we try to welcome in non-hockey fans, too. And the NHL and I hope the players like if I'm the head of the PA, I'm sitting down and say, hey, fellas. We've had a flat calf for a few years. It's not just magically going to skyrocket if we're just robotic in our responses and don't give people stuff. And at the same time, I'm always, I've always taken the response that an interview is 50% on the player and 50% on the interviewer. If you ask 100%. crappy questions, you're going to get shitty answers. So part of it's on the media as well, who the, the individual media person to take pride in what they're doing. And, and you can get players over the years. I've had great interviews with guys and some players just are never going to be comfortable on the mic. So I kind of avoid them unless I have to, because you know what? And I tell them at the start of the year, I said, dude, I know you don't really like it. So you know what? We'll do it. A I'm few not going to bug you. Yeah. Yeah. And I find it works out better. Like some people are just more natural. You know, they, they don't mind doing the interviews. They're smart. They, they like to say stuff. Well, smart's maybe I think the, the problem word. is the, the biggest marquee players in the game, more or less, are those players that don't like doing media, which I think some is of part them. of the problem. Uh, some yeah. of them. I mean, but it, a lot of times the most engaging, outgoing, interesting players on the team aren't your big, you know, top line players. It, it's pretty rare that that happens. And so you know, there needs to probably be a little buy-in on, on the player side, as you mentioned. I, I think what you're going to see this year is more of a willingness from the team side because they also get it. Uh, we've had a long year. We've had 
teams that need to dig out of a little bit of a hole uh, financially. And the only way to generate more revenue is to make your team more interesting. And how do you do that? Well, part of it is content and, and putting your players, you know, personalities out there, which they all have them. It's just that 99% of the time we don't get to see them. Yeah, that's fair. Like I look at a guy like Austin Matthews. Um, you know what? There's there's lots of different things. Like he's one of the league's best goal scorers. I find Matthews pretty engaging. Leon Drysaddle. I like to call him the grumpy German. And and I've had really good interactions with Leon over the years, and we've had battles over the years as well. But when when you ask him a non like repetitive answer and something that he's like, hey, uh, how was tonight? Like that's what bores him. But if you get Drysaddle into stuff, he's pretty personable. Like you saw. Like I saw him, like even he couldn't get McDavid laughing, which shows you, you know, Connor's pretty serious all the time. When Leon was like, well, who do you want to thank other than me? Like that's still one of the best lines from a hockey player. It's like a subtle good chirp. And I think there are guys around like Patrick Kane has always, Ovechkin's got a real big personality, but you're right, Frank. I find that some of it was a little bit the team and then be like, hey, don't give too much information. I'm like, we're not asking for you to tell us, you know, what your secret forecheck is tonight because 99 percent no one cares right exactly <laughs> right they don't care um one of the things i i found interesting kind of along those lines as well is i i felt like if we started with a player frank and we had like some light-hearted ones like uh, ryan clark from the athletic was there he had a couple of great stories he was asking about that had the guys really kind of laughing and thinking like from there you got better answers for the serious stuff when you when you had it light-hearted at first so that's like a nerdy gotta warm them up yeah, like yeah, i mean yeah. it's it's not unlike anything else like you you have to you know give and take foreplay of interviewing people yeah. it's basically yeah. it works i was I, I was going there but not going there so thank you um yeah. one of the best stories we asked about though that had kind of the room going was the nathan mckinnon one though right frank yeah, so we kind of got halfway through the interview, and I had to ask about the, you know, what unfolded this summer on social media. I don't, I don't even know why it became a thing. It was Zadorov. Zadorov yeah. was the one who brought it up. Exactly, but I don't know why that took off. You know, it suddenly became, you know, I must have been slow. There's nothing else going on in hockey at the time, and all of a sudden you turn around, that thing has twelve thousand retweets, and you're like, how did this happen? And it was basically just if you haven't or or weren't you know, don't remember it. It was basically Zadorov telling stories about, you know, Nathan McKinnon got rid of ice cream. He got rid of pizza and soda and all these different things from our, our post-game locker room spread. And I don't know why that, you know, all of a sudden people were sort of criticizing McKinnon, like, oh, look at this guy. He's militant. He's this, he's that. I loved it. Like, and, and so I had to ask about it. I think he knew it was coming at a certain point And he was like, Okay, here we go. And then he he didn't hold back. He called Zadorov a donkey first off, <laughs> and then just kind of you know jumped into it. it. Was like, hey, like I'm you know I'm a regular guy. I'm not crazy. And um, you know he we had a we had fun with it because that's what it should be. But I also think in not to take a serious right hand turn, but I actually think that the way that he's changed himself and his habits have made a big impact on his game and actually are the reason why he's turned into the elite of the elite in the NHL. Because when you ask him about it, the time frame that he decided to make those decisions with his diet and with his nutrition and the other changes he made in his life is exactly the time that he started to take off and go from a 55, 60 point player to a 9,500 point player. And so it, it, it probably actually means something. Oh, of course it does. Well, it's here's the easiest analogy. When you when a certain car you buy, 
There's different levels of gasoline. You want to put in the Supreme gas, it runs better on a high-powered engine. If you want to be a high-powered athlete now, you have to eat, right, basically 95% of the time, right? That's just that's just how it is. And, and most people don't want to do it. Like, I think the re- reason that becomes such a big story is most people in society can't do it. Like, if we're going to be bluntly honest here, look at North America. Sadly, we're, you know, one of the biggest um, obese um continents in the world right that's just fact and so it's i'm, it's, I'm over here waving if you yeah. can't see me <laughs> yeah but it's my but body it's true is a temple if you didn't know yeah but it's easier to 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 stop in and have the the processed food right then and so i give them credit like and the thing is when mckinnon does it it's a leader on your team and most of those other players are probably eating right 90 percent of the time but i get why he's like but after the game having- they're like i want a slice of pizza because i just worked my bag off for three yeah. hours and i'm and i'm i need something delicious like yeah and once in a blue moon would be fine but if it was every game well that's 80 times a year right like i don't, I don't even tyler Uramchuk when he was single wasn't eating pizza 80 times a year right no. so i get why you wouldn't have pizza after every game right it just doesn't make but that's, sense and to be fair when i first started covering the nhl that's how it was oh, i know when every stop you were in if it was buffalo it would be wings if it was you know somewhere with good pizza it'd be pizza somewhere else it'd be uh you know in philly they would always get cheesesteaks delivered for the road team like you know they did not eat incredibly well after games now it's when you walk in the room it's they've got a shake ready to go they drink it right after then they're right into their workout and then they're on to the next thing and then you know kind of a little bit before my time but not really like right towards the very beginning of when i started covering the league it'd be like hey uh you know some guy would be finishing riding the bike and you'd be interviewing him and then he'd crack open a Coors light like that that just (laughs) It doesn't oh, happen know. anymore. No. There's guys that don't drink the entire season. Yeah. Not one drink. Yeah. They don't drink they'll drink in rare, the off season. But, yeah. Yeah. And I and I and I understand that. And now on the other side of things, I I think the fact that the players can never go out and, and blow some steam off without everybody, you know, having a phone, like th- that that would be stressful too. Like there's there's nothing wrong if if you if you eat and I, I've had a lot of dietitian nutritionists on my show that tell you you're allowed to have a cheat day every now and then, even as elite level athlete. And so if they want to go blow off some steam and have a few vodka sodas or beers or whatever it is, you know, I I kind of think that today's athlete in the NHL they don't get to enjoy the fun of what it should be in in the offseason. Now, I'm not talking you have to go like code 10 red of, you know, obliterating yourself every night or anything like that. But I think it's harder for today's athlete to go out and just, you know, these athletes are 21, 22, 25. Every other guy or gal at 22 to 25 is they're in college or you're just out. You're living up your best life. You at least should be able to go out and socialize (laughs) without feeling scrutinized and everybody videoing you. I'm just not a fan of that. Yeah, no, I agree on the video part, but like the other, the discipline part is like, you're getting paid a supreme amount of money in a very limited time window. You can have all the drinks you want after your career's over. You can do all the things that you want to do socially after your career's over. But in the meantime, you're getting paid, you know, superhero money. Um, you know, it's, you know, not unreasonable to ask to to have the discipline component to it. Jack Jack Hughes had a funny answer along those lines. I forget who it was yeah, too, yeah. but he was asked kind of like, did you miss out on the college experience? And he kind of chuckled and was like, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was like, ah, you know, I, I was making a lot of money playing hockey, like he missing said, class. I, I was 18 and I was making a million bucks playing hockey. He's like, 
pretty sure I made the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'd look at though, if you, you go out on a Friday night and you don't play again until Monday, I think if you go out Friday once every two yeah. months, I, I don't think that means you're undisciplined. No, no. I, and I think they, they, they mark those calendars way ahead of time. This night specifically is <laughs> yeah. a green light special. Oh, um, it should be. You got to have some fun. Like, my goodness, if you're making all your money and never get to go have some fun, blow off some steam, that would yep. be brutal. Mm-hmm. We uh, we also have an Olympic year coming up, and uh, a couple of the players we had interesting conversations about that with were uh, Drew Doughty and Steven Stamkos. Doughty, one, is still actively checking all of the projected rosters to make sure he's included on them, and I thought that was hilarious. And Stamkos is motivated as well to try crack that Canadian team. Yeah, you know, Doughty was, was particularly interesting because not only is he still you know, motivated and fired up by some of those projections, almost all of which have seemingly left him off. Drew Doughty had a sneaky good season last year. Like he was way better last year than he was in his previous two before that. I think he's going to be in the mix and certainly in the conversation. And then Steven Stamkos is so fascinating. Like, you know, and he, he walked us through the entire timeline. Some of which, you know, if you're not following super closely, you may have forgotten 2010 in Vancouver, he had a 95 point season that year. He was left off. He actually led the league in goals. He was one of the last cuts. He was 19 years old and he missed out then 2014. He had an injury. I think he broke his leg. Yep. And then 2018, the NHL players don't go. And now we get to 22 and he's 31. He turns 32 while he would be in Beijing And he's sort of at this point in his career now where he's not the super high producing player that he once was. He's also dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, His best days may be behind him. And he's saying, am I, am I in the mix? I want to be in the mix. How can I get off to a great start this season to prove that I should be? Uh, It's the one thing that's really missing from his career, two Stanley cups, two rocket Richards, uh, you know, world junior gold, He's done almost everything you can do in your career uh, without, you know, getting on that Olympic team and winning gold. And so he'd have an unbelievable chance with Team Canada. And Jay uh, and Tyler, we should have some fun with this after it happens. And once the team is picked, I'm going to mark it down on my calendar. We should write a story about what would the second entry from Team Canada look like if they could put two in the Olympics And Steven Stamkos, his prediction, it was offhand. He just mentioned it casually. He said, I think the second Team Canada team would also medal in Beijing. I mean, I'm looking at a projected roster right now that doesn't even have the likes of Stamkos or Doughty on it. And I mean, the extra defensemen on this team are Morgan Riley and Dougie Hamilton. It's uh, from the early projection from The Athletic. And it's like, yeah, just looking at the extra players and off the top of my head going, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy aren't there. Like, man, they'd be they'd be really good. I don't know if they could compete with like Sweden though, if that's who you're kind of battling with, or Russia or the U.S. for another medal spot. But they'd be good. Well, I, I think the the other thing you have to take into consideration is experience matters in those type of tournaments. It's a different scenario than it is in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And how many guys from the 2014 are locks? Probably Crosby, Petrangelo. Sure. You know, after that, like Drew Doughty's not a lock, but I think he'll be in the conversation. You know, uh, Marshawn uh, wasn't there, but he played in the World Cup. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, is he a lock? I don't know if he's a lock, I but he's a lock. so I think they will look a guy like Drew Doughty, as Frank alluded to last year. 
quietly had a good season. And LA's got a lot of young players. But a lot of people think LA could could surprise early on this year. And I think every year players are looking for different motivation, right? There, there's probably no one better than the example of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan just found something to motivate him every time. If he he would make up things that people would say almost in his head and it would twist the words because he that's how he got motivated. And I wonder if a guy like Dowdy or or Stamkos looks and says, okay, it's November 9th, whatever. It's my 13th season. You know, we're playing some non-divisional team, but I'm going to get fired up because the big pitchers I want to play well, but I also want for a pride factor to be in that consideration. And it's it's fascinating. I wonder if if our if the best players in the National Hockey League this year are, are off to better starts and are a little bit more engaged maybe in, in the kind of the dog days because they all want to make their national teams. I'm just looking at the 2014 Canada roster from Sochi. I I think you're right. It's Crosby. Petrangelo. Petrangelo, Bergeron, maybe. And that's kind of it. Is is Tavares in the mix if he gets off to a good start? But Carey Price is if and Carey Price Price and the goalie. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the other thing, Carey Price is after getting the the Habs to the final last year. I think he's a lock. I think Olympic experience is one thing as well. But if you're going to look at a team that's going to have, you know, especially on the blue line, like if you have Jacob Chikrin, Kale McCarr, maybe a Thomas Shabbat playing. I think that almost increases the odds of them going, hey, you know what, let's take a Drew Doughty over a Dougie Hamilton because he has that, you know, quote unquote, Stanley Cup experience. I'm not saying that's what I would do, but I could see that being kind of the rationale and the thinking behind bringing on a guy like Doughty and maybe even a Steven Stamkos, a guy who has that pedigree of winning before if you're surrounding him with a lot of young, talented players. I'm going to say right now, I think the odds of of those three young guys, Shabbat, Chikrin and Makar all being on the team. Slim to none. I just, I, I, you're not going to go with 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 that much inexperience. I believe, oh, and overall, in international play, inexperience for those teams. And I, I and here's I the think other those thing, guys. guys are, I think Makar is a stone. Oh, Makar is a lock. lock. He, he's I think Chikrin's a lock too. Uh, oh, I don't think Chikrin's a lock. He's not a lock, but he's definitely right there. And then the who is the third guy? Shabbat. Shabbat, I think, is a lock too. You have Shabbat as a lock over a guy like Jacob Chikrin. Jacob Chikrin led the – didn't he score the most goals by a defenseman last year? I know that yeah, doesn't Yeah, he did have 18 matter. goals last year, yeah. And yeah, he, we saw do... him at the player media tour. He's built like a freaking tight end, man. He is yeah. huge. He is big. You have to look at the, the other thing, though, that I think they'll consider is Chikrin and Shabbat, not, not by anything in their own accord – They've never played in any remote meaningful games in their NHL career because their teams haven't. Yeah, been but he's, they've played like like Shabbat, for instance, was playing 28, 29 minutes a night in World Juniors on home ice. Like to say yeah. that he doesn't have big game experience, I think is in the NHL. A, yeah, yeah, but but okay, so like so like I, I mean I don't know. I I just think those guys, the way they skate, the way they play, that they're gonna be right there. Well, the by left- the way. I, I not to not to go too you know too far down the Olympic rabbit hole, but I, I mean I still think this is Team USA's year. This is really? their, this is their year to win. Well, I, you know what the the Russia is always intriguing. Although their defense core is, is going to be their question. Their goaltending they got the best depth of goal. It's not even close. Uh, and they've obviously got some guys who can score up front. Russia's concern is on the fence. Um, Sweden's concern, I think, I don't know if they have the top end offensive guys. Uh, Canada and U.S. right now, if I was if I was handicapping it going in, I would have Canada one and the U.S. two. I don't I don't. There's much debate on that. Mm-hmm. And 
it'll be fascinating to see how the rosters play out. And really, I think, guys, you know, health could be a factor because every year there's some guys. We mentioned, you know, some guys who are injured and a key injury to one of those nations could be the difference maker and who wins gold. Well, what the would, other thing to what would out, happen with Jack way, Eichel? Oh, that's a good question. He, like he would he'd probably need to have surgery like now soon in order to be in the mix for the Olympics. Unless hey, he's sp- unless he's planning on playing through it. Yeah. Speaking of Jack Eichel, um, I know Vegas just signed Nolan Patrick. If you're the Vegas Golden Knights and um, you look at, at how many big moves they've made over the over the few years in their brief existence, and you look at their center depth right now, I just don't see them having Stanley Cup center depth. They've got a lot of depth in a lot of places. The problem is they don't have a ton of young guys. Can they make a package that would entice Buffalo to trade them Jack Eichel? And if you're Vegas, is that the missing piece to your team? I don't think there's any question that it's the missing piece. You know, they need that center. They don't They don't have it. The, the top-end elite center, number one guy. The problem is... If you're if you're the Buffalo Sabers, what are you getting from the Vegas Golden Knights that's going to entice you to do it? And there'd probably have to be a third party team involved in order to broker it and make it happen, no? Well, probably a couple, right? Because if Buffalo doesn't want roster players in this move and they're looking for just young talent, well, Vegas to make the cap work, you'd have to move two of two of Carlson, Marcheseau, Riley Smith, or Evgeny Dadanov, and three of those guys have modified no trade clauses. So there's no way any of those guys are saying, yeah, I'll leave Vegas to go to rebuilding Buffalo. You'd have to find a third team to probably take each of those guys, give you future assets. Maybe Buffalo holds money in the deal, but then maybe you can make it work. But I just think money-wise and with the big money players Vegas has almost all having no trade protection, how, how could you swing that? That's a fair point, but uh, I mean that's so. Then when you look at like look at the Dadonov signing this summer, yep, like that to me, I was like, it was pointless. Well, I was like, that was an indication to me that they're the, the trade. Excuse me, not a signing. The trade that to me was an indication that they're probably not in the mix for Eichel. Like, why are you taking on that five million dollar deal when you know that's half of an Eichel cap wise? So I, I wonder. You know, I'd have to sit back and think about the third party team and how that could factor in and, you know, look at a team. I I wonder about a team like the New York Rangers. And and I say that, A, because I think they're interested in Eichel also. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They have been from the beginning. They just haven't been willing to pay what Buffalo believes is the price. They've got a specific, you know, set idea in mind. But the reason I bring up Vegas and the Rangers is I don't think they're done trading yet. You know, maybe it doesn't come to fruition now, but I got, you got to keep the Gerard Gallant factor in mind. They bring in Ryan Reeves. I think that they probably at a certain point had interest in a, in a Smith or Marcia. So, and you know, that didn't come to fruition, but I think Vegas is they're ready and willing to move one of at least one of those guys, as Tyler pointed out to make it happen. Uh, they've those guys have definitely been out there in trade talks. Yeah, like like Riley Smith is in the final year of his contract. He doesn't have a no move. There's five million dollars, so that's one guy you could move. If uh, if Vegas wanted to, you know, you you throw in Peyton Krebs. Um, you would look at uh, uh, maybe they would obviously they probably maybe want a draft pick on top of that. But the other thing is like I don't think Buffalo is going to get as much as they expect to get. Right? Like let's be realistic. When when Chris Pronger got traded, 
right? Like what, what did they get? They got a future first rounder because they won the cup that turned out to be Eberle. They had Ladislav Schmid and Joffrey Lupel and another first rounder, right? It was, and none of those guys at that point were really established. So sure I, that, you know, you want to shed some salary uh, to make it work for Vegas. You'd have to do that. But ultimately, like I'm hearing some of these trade requests for Jack Eichel and like Buffalo can ask for the moon, but historically, when you look at big names being traded, it never is like other than Eric Lindros, who uh, who you know who was young, who wasn't injured, and was a you know a freakish body that no one had ever seen that big and that skilled and that physical, and they gave up a ton to get him. But but other than that, like what, what superstar what, was there? Massive amount of play? heck, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. Yammer Yager, the trade from yes. Pitt to Washington is one of the worst ever. Yeah, like there's not, I think that, like I've been, re- oh, four or five players. And I'm like, yeah, if you include draft picks, great. But we all know that not all every draft pick works out. So I, I think that some you people lose have to, almost every time trading a player like Jack Eichel. Oh, you're going to lose. But the expectations that you're going to get all of these, these assets for Jack, and I like Jack Eichel, but history tells us when you look at really dominant players who are traded, you're not getting five or six pieces lindros was the massive outlier it's just not how it works well there's just so many things working against buffalo we've talked about one of them which is the cap we we didn't really touch on the injury situation and then of course the clear and obvious request and disdain for staying in buffalo like all three of those things make it really difficult for the sabers to to extract value in exchange for jack eichel and you know we've got just a few days here before players are supposed to report, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to, you know, in Buffalo is Jack Eichel there for physicals, you know, what, what's going on there. Let's get to buy or sell now, Ty. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we were talking about the Rangers there and uh, that lines up nicely because today we're going to be continuing our division preview series on buy or sell with a look at the Rangers division. We will start with them in the Metro Last year, the Rangers had a goal differential of plus 20, and that was actually better than four playoff teams around the league. This year, their schedule is, you know, a little bit more wide open. You're going to play everyone around the league. I think that'll benefit them, and I think it'll get them into the playoffs in a very tight Metro division. Rangers to make the playoffs. Frankie buying or selling? Selling. Um, I like the Rangers. I like where they're heading. I like the strides they made last year. I know they got off to a tough start last year, and it took a while to rebound. Uh their goal differential, as good as it was, was a little bit misleading in the sense that they had a couple blowout games. We talked about this previously. Yeah. Uh, the Rangers, I remember one night, beat the Flyers 9 nothing. I mean, that's a whole half of what you're talking about. Um, I just think some of the other teams in that division are too strong. Carolina, the Islanders, uh, and Wash, I think, are the three playoff teams that are guaranteed, and then it's going to come down to Philly, Pitt, and – um, and the Rangers then for that last spot or two. So uh, I still think the Atlantic is getting five. So that leaves uh, three, right, from the Metro? Yeah, so, so that means none of those three. Yeah, so I, I just think it's tough selecting for the Rangers. Five in the Atlantic, interesting. I'm actually going to buy on the Rangers because I think Pittsburgh's injuries to Malkin and Crosby, uh, even if Crosby's only out a few weeks to start the season, I just think that's going to be too much for them to overcome. So now you're down to five teams battling it out. And the Rangers, I believe that uh, Capo Caco and Lafreniere, one of those guys is going to have a step-up season, you know, 50-some points, high picks, lots of those guys. You know, you're 20 years of age. There's such a big difference in development for young players. And uh, I like what they've done 
elsewhere in their roster. You know, they've gotten more physical, which is what they wanted. They got young goaltender. The Rangers, the only reason they don't make the playoffs is if they stub their toe for the third straight year and Zabanajad sleepwalks through the first two months. Now, I know he had COVID last year, but if you look at Zabanajad's starts the last two seasons compared to what he did in the second half, it's not even close. Like, the guy was unreal. He was the best goal scorer in 2019 down the stretch, 2020. So... I'm going to say Zabanajad is ready to go at the start, and the Rangers are a playoff team. Okay, let's just save this clip. The only way the Rangers don't make the playoffs is if they stub their toe in the first part of the season. Got yeah. it. You got yeah. it, Frank. I will save this one. Um, I'm actually sticking with the Rangers for the second question. I, you know me. I'm a better. I'm always looking at the betting odds for different players. And one guy who jumps off the page for me for the Vesna Trophy is Igor Shesterkin. If the Rangers are going to be better, I mean, this is a guy who had a 916 save percentage and a 262 goals against average. He's 25 years old. He's entering that age where you can maybe expect him to take potentially another step forward as a goalie. Igor Shesterkin to be a Vesna finalist. Jason, you buying or selling? I picked the Rangers. If you have him as a playoff team, but I'm not. I'm not buying that one. Um, I just. I just think there's other. uh, There's other quality goalies ahead of him. He's. uh, He's going to be a solid goaltender, but I I would see more. I need to see more from him before I put him as a Vesna finalist. I agree. I'm going to sell. I just think there's too many top end goalies in the league. I think Shashirkin is knocking on the door of being in that category. I don't think he's there quite yet. You know, we still have got the Vasilevskis, the Hellebucks. Um, you know, I'd expect a couple bounce back seasons from some other guys. So, um, yeah, I'm going to sell. Uh, for those who are wondering about the betting odds, Vasilevsky is the leader at four to one. Then you have Flurry, Grubauer, and Hellebuck at ten to one. Shesterkin way down the list at twenty two. Where's one. Darcy Kemper? Darcy Kemper on this one. You're going to make me search while I'm uh, live on the That's air. perfect. Uh, he's actually twelve to one, so he's just outside of that top four. So um, yeah. Throw yeah. a couple bucks on Darcy Kemper, 12 to 1. You Frank's loving healthy. the Kemp train this yeah. year. <laughs> uh, let's get, We talked about some teams who are maybe bubbles, bubble playoff teams here, and Jason, you brought up the Penguins. I'm going to go there. I'm going to say not only do they miss the playoffs, but I think the Penguins might sell at the trade deadline. It could get that ugly with the injuries they have. Jason, buying or selling on the Penguins being sellers? Oof. Burke being a seller. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't happen very often. I, you know what? Um, unless Crosby's injury is is more severe than than they think, I don't I don't know if I can see them you know selling off. I you know they've got they've got a lot of UFAs though. That's the thing, right? They got a boatload of them. But I think Pittsburgh will be in the mix enough. And and Brian Burke is historically competitive. He he trusts his players, and I don't think they will. I don't, I'll say no, they don't sell off. I, I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't think they'll sell off. I'm gonna agree with Jay as unappealing as that is um i just think that in this case they have a mandate and a mission in in pittsburgh and it's to keep this window open as long as they can they're not going to be selling future assets to remain in the race artificially they're not going to be trying to prop up this team if they're sagging but they're going to try and give this group every chance especially with Latang and malkin uh entering the final year of those deals and I think this this year, especially the start, is going to be so fascinating in Pittsburgh because for the first time, we're really going to get a glimpse of what that window looks like without Crosby, without Malkin. You know, if Crosby's out two weeks, Malkin's probably out until late January at the earliest. Um, you know, that that's a window that we haven't seen with Pittsburgh. What does that team look like without those two guys? And it gives us an indication of what they might look like moving forward. 
you guys are both selling, but I'm trying to will this thing into existence, man. I just think for our jobs, it would be a lot of fun talking about could the Penguins sell a Tang? Are they going to sell Malkin now that he's healthy? I just think it would be a ton of fun. Uh, moving on to the next one I got here. Let's stay in Pennsylvania. Neither Pennsylvania team is getting into the postseason this year. I'm going to say the Flyers miss as well, despite their busy offseason. Frankie Biner selling. Um, I'm going to sell. I think the Flyers get – I think if there's the fourth team – from the Metro and just to recap, because I did say the five teams from the Atlantic, I've got Tampa, Toronto, Florida, not, not in any order, Montreal and Boston. Like, tell me which one of those five isn't making Montreal. it. Okay. But Great. I think that Montreal could still be better than that, that flyers team from, from the Metro, for instance, because if you're taking five spots, you, you're knocking out a fourth. So I have the Islanders, Carolina, and Wash, like I said, as the as my teams that are locks in the Metro. And then I, I think the Flyers are going to be right there, um, but I think they get in. And I, if, if there is a fourth team from the Metro that gets in, I think it would be the Flyers. Well, you, you look at the uh, Flyers, all you got to do is uh, just go back to history. Uh, what is it, uh, 2022? So it'll be an even year. They always make the playoffs, 20, 18, 16, 14, 12. The last time they made the playoffs in an, in an odd year was 2011. So they're due. They'll make the playoffs. I honestly thought they were the biggest disappointment in the NHL last season. Now, you got to remember, they were on fire uh, down at the stretch in 2020. One of the hottest teams in the league. And I believe Carter Hart's going to have a better season, right? He, he talked pretty openly about how the, uh, the the bubble and everything was a challenge for him, for sure. And I think, Mar- well, the easiest prediction I can make is that Martin Jones is going to be better because it's hard to be worse than an 896 save percentage he's had each of the last three years. But Marty Jones will give you, he'll be at least 10 points better. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but if he's a 906 save percentage as your backup and Carter Hart's back to where he is, I just think the Flyers, I like the additions they made on their blue line. And uh, they got themselves Marty Jones, who's who's fired up to to kind of show that he's not the dud he's been for three years. The Flyers, I think, are going to be a team, and I say they finish top three. Okay, I, I could see it. I mean, I think they're going to be so much more difficult to play against. There's not going to be any free nights with that blue line that they've built. And if Carter Hart, like you said, can be a little bit better, I'm I'm not I'm not a Martin Jones guy. Like I just we've had too much track record now, three straight oh. seasons of 8.96. Like I don't know why you could point to that you know, his numbers going up. Well, to go to 906, Frank, like that's a, like, it's still a low bar when you think about it. Like he doesn't have to be great. He just that, has that to be 906. 906 would be like average. Like, mm-hmm. no, I, I think he could be average. What, he, I, he could be, but yeah. we've had three years of track record saying he's well below average. So I don't know why he's going to pull it out of the hat now. Uh, well, you know, what's funny. Um, players, you get into a certain mode, your comfort, all of a sudden you get bought out. You're like, whoa, jeez. A little bit of a shock, and uh, I know that he he went to some different training again that he'd kind of gone away from. Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine was explaining the technical stuff that the Jones has, has been working on, and you know improving his core strength. Um, he went to the he worked with the same guy that uh, Mike Smith did. Adam Franchetti, or I think I'm butchering his last name. My apologies, Adam. But he uh, that's who he worked with in the off season, and I'm not saying he's going to have Mike Smith type season, but I think you know 906 is doable for him when he's also not going to be the main guy. Last one here. This one has a bit of a betting edge on it. But last season, the New Jersey Devils were on pace for about 66 points in an 82-game season. I'm looking right now. Their point total over-under for next season is set at 90.5. And I get that they got better, but I don't think they got that much better. Like, that would be 
I'm doing math live on a podcast here, but would that not be like 12 wins better than they were, or at least on pace for last season? I'm selling on the Devils at a 90.5 over under. I do not think the Devils get to the 90 point mark. Jason, you buying or selling on that? Yeah, because if they're getting a 90.5, you're thinking there's six or seven teams in one division with that many points. I, I'm with you, Tyler. I, I don't think the math adds up. I think New Jersey is going to be improved, but there's just there's only so many points to go around. For, for a team in the division when, when you still play that many games within your division. So I don't, uh, I will go under, I will uh, sell for sure. I don't see 90.5 for the devils. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think they'll be better. They just won't be back. I think good. they're going to be way better. I think they're going to be, I'd say they're going to be within five points of 90 either way. I don't think they're going to be a 95 point team, but I think they're in that range. Um, I, I actually think it's kind of the perfect over under setup really? because I just think Nico, he's is going to take, that next step you saw the 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 step that jack hughes took last year he was significantly improved last season it's just that you know might not have noticed that much uh given that he played on a poor team their defense is a bit better not just Dougie hamilton i think one of the best trades of the offseason was ryan graves um and mackenzie blackwood is he's good man he's really good so i don't know i think that team is yeah 85 88 90 they're right they're right in there i'm gonna sell i still think they're under 90.5 but i could see them getting there there you go that is buy or sell for the week guys it is brought to you by doordash who is not only a proud sponsor of this podcast but the entire nation network of podcasts restaurants and more delivered right to your door you can use the promo code rundown dd it gets first-time users of the app 25 percent off and no delivery fees get your delivery game in mid-season form you don't want to be like mika zabinijad and starting the year slow not knowing what restaurants to order from so hit up doordash today by the way so we we just digested the metro there seem to be lots of back and forth about the playoff spots. Better division, Atlantic or Metro? I'll say the Metro from one to eight. Because Buffalo's in the Atlantic, um, Ottawa's in the Atlantic, Detroit's in the Atlantic. One to eight, I guess, but top end? Well, Tampa Bay, yeah, they're the best team for sure. It's, but it's not just Tampa, like, I, I don't know. Like I Carolina mean, and the Islanders, like the Islanders have been in the final four the last two seasons. Like Carolina yep. and the Islanders, they might be the second and third best teams in the East after Tampa Bay. Like I don't think Boston's better than them. I don't, Toronto's not better than them. Toronto hasn't proven I, I anything. Think, I think Florida's going to be a wagon yeah, this year. I do like. So, I think Florida's the second best team in that division. I would agree. So yeah. Tampa and Florida, and then you think you think Boston's a playoff team? Uh, they're right on the bubble. Yeah. I, I think I could easily see. I know you said five in the Atlantic. I could easily see five in the Metro, easily. I think uh, I think it's going to be a great playoff race in the Eastern Conference this year for for those eight spots amongst the both divisions. The the wild card race is is going to be huge because it's you know there's there's literally five maybe sixteen well six for sure in the uh, in the uh, Metro and five in the Atlantic. They're going to be battling. So I, I love the. I think the wild card race in the Eastern Conference might be the most exciting we've seen in a long time. And good teams, not somebody limping in or anything like at the eight spot with 84 points or something like that. I think it's it's going to be exciting to see. And those games are are going to be huge. So yeah, I now obviously some team like I'm not as high on Montreal as some people. I just think the Shea Weber. Uh, injury really hurts them. Um, some of the other moves they made, like they had a great run. Don't get me wrong. They had a great Cinderella run. I'm not sold. It will continue. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. People called it a Cinderella run, but remember that's the team that started off so well last year that 
I know that's that that ended up actually being a big reason why they got in. Mm-hmm. But I still think that team has a decent enough core. Like they're not going to be out of it at any stretch during the season. I don't think. I know everyone's expecting a drop off, but I still like some of the moves that they made. Um, you know, I, I think Mike Hoffman tw- pencil him in again. Twenty five, twenty seven, twenty eight goals. Like take it to the bank. Cole Caulfield, you get a full season. Nick Suzuki takes another step to the next level. And then basically what you need is for Joel, for David Savard to basically be like 70% of Shea Weber or whatever that number is. And then Carey Price to get healthy and be healthy. I, I mean, that team isn't, they're not going to be far out of it. Yeah. Well, we'll look to you're listening to the uh, DFL rundown brought to you by Fantrax. Before I go today, Frank, uh, here we are. Uh, camps get going with medicals and physicals on Wednesday. On ice will happen on Thursday, and we're seeing more PTOs. Uh, some were announced uh, over the weekend, of course. You know, uh, Flora uh, Froelich and, and James Neal are, are now, of course, with uh, St. Louis. Tyler Ennis goes to uh, Ottawa. You know, you got Anisimov in, in Colorado. Man, New Jersey's got four. They got Frederick Gauthier, Mark Jankowski, uh, Jimmy VC, Tyler Watherspoon, uh, Colton Seviers in Edmonton. Which PTO do you think has the most probability of working out in the player signs with that team? Who do you like of all the PTOs? Jimmy VC in New Jersey, I think that's a real good chance. Uh, he played 50 games last year between the Leafs and Canucks. I mean, I know he's 28 now, but he's still two or three seasons removed from a 17-goal year. I, I think if he gets put in a spot where he can find his confidence again, that he could still be a player in this league. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say Brian Boyle – makes the Pittsburgh Penguins at age 36. After not playing last season, he played in in the Worlds. I know the foot speed isn't there, but I can tell you that the Pittsburgh Penguins really value their center position. They place a serious priority in that, and they've got some young guys that still need to prove it. But with Crosby out, uh, with Malkin out, um, I, I just think that there's an opening there. You know, you've got Jeff Carter that's going to be asked to do a lot. Uh, And I know this is another older guy in Brian Boyle, but just as a security blanket, even if he only hangs on for a month until Crosby's back and and full strength, um, I could see Brian Boyle on a league minimum deal out of camp. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go James Neal in St. Louis. I I believe that. Why? Uh, well, he kind of fits what the Blues are. The Blues have never been a team that, like, James Neal's not the fleetest of foot. I don't think he's as slow as some people say either. But, like, James Neal has scored 24 goals in his last 84 NHL games. At the end of the day, scoring goals matters. Now, you can talk about it on the power play. That's fine. Um, you know, what? what's going to happen long term with Vladimir Tarasenko in St. Louis? Who knows? But I look at, like, they still haven't signed Robert Thomas. Now, maybe he'll get signed or not. But they've only got, uh, what, 12, 13 forwards uh, who are NHL guys uh, signed right now. So I think James Neal can go there. And then Colton Sevier in Edmonton, because Edmonton has very little right shot depth on the wings. And, you know, because if one of their right wingers gets hurt, they don't have another right winger. And they they only have 43 contracts right now. They've got a few guys on AHL only deals that don't count that'll be in Bakersfield. So I think Colton Sevier could be a guy who signs a two-way deal so on the off chance, if he doesn't make it, you know, you put him on waivers. He's, he's in the minors. 
for a little bit, but they'll need some right shot depth. And Colton Sevier, they don't have anybody who's a, like a bottom six depth winger after Cassian and Archibald. And, you know, if one of those guys is, isn't able to go this year, then I think Colton Sevier slides in Devon. I love the PTO stories. I root for those guys. It's so hard when you're the, the deck, the deck is stacked against you when you come in. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really hard to make it. And, you know, especially at where some of these guys are in their career, a lot of them, this is their last shot. So, uh, you know they're going to be prepared, and we'll see. What about Josh Hosang in Toronto and Jack Johnson, who I know uh, is not uh, is, is not a big, not uh, very sought after very well by uh, the numbers, and the numbers don't lie. If you're looking at the information numbers, uh, they haven't been great to him. But um, Josh Hosang in Toronto, Frank, do you think he signs? I don't, but. I mean, there's always been so much talk about Josh Hosang and all the talent he has. If they can find a way to put it together, it's just that even when he went overseas, when he played in the AHL, he he wasn't hasn't been a super productive player the last two seasons. So I just don't see it. But who knows? Uh, another one that intrigues me is Artem Anisimov in Colorado. Like you look at big center depth guys who kill penalties aren't flashy. I I could I just see wonder him signing how much he co- has left in the tank. Yeah, but you know what? I think Colorado, that might be a player that you just, you know, you sign for cheap. He's a depth guy, and you think he can help you. And, like, I look at Michael Hanzus when he helped the Chicago Blackhawks in 2013, right? Like, not, and, and I think Hanzus is a better player overall than Anisimov, but it's similar. Like, guys who just know who are big bodies, who can just fill lanes and fill spots and do a lot of the small things that coaches really rely on and trust. Um, I could see Anisimov signing in Colorado. They, they've got enough top-end guys, right? Like, their elite talent in Colorado is it's off the charts good. There's no question it's the best in the Western Conference. Um, I think maybe they just they need a little bit more, you know, like Nathan McKinnon talked about it in the past. I don't know if he talked about it this year, Frank, that Colorado felt their organization, like, they, they need to do some of the harder things better, right? Some of the more boring aspects of the game better, and I think Anisimov can do that for you. Interesting. And you mentioned harder – one of the things that stood out for me talking to Nathan McKinnon at the player media tour was to bring this all full circle. He said, when push came to shove against Vegas, his words, not mine. He said, we were timid. Yep. And that's really interesting. So Uh, it's, uh, you know, you look at, you know, even a guy like Tyler Ennis in, in Ottawa, they've got so many, like Tyler Ennis can score you 10 to 12 goals a year. Right. He's he's not going to kill penalties for you. He's not going to be great defensively. But if you're just looking for some offensive depth and and if the Kachuk contract doesn't get solidified here before the start of the season, you know, they might say, hey, we need an, another depth guy. He's he's not going to cost us very much. They know him very well. Like Tyler Ennis is a is a good professional guy in the room. Right. He's never a distraction. Everybody likes him. Uh, you know, he, he's a pro's pro as far as he know whatever his role is. Like if you need a guy in your second unit pe- uh, power play, he's got great offensive skills. He's he's never lacking of offensive confidence like Tyler Ennis can sit in the press box for two weeks. He'll come on the ice, Frank, and he'll feather passes. He'll try everything because he has so much confidence in his offensive ability. And I, I think teams like guys that they know, right? So I, I, when it's all said and done, I could see like five or six of these guys signing uh, NHL deals when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. I'm with you.
Yeah, I, I wonder if any of them can could become the Alex Chase on. Remember, he went to Edmonton on a PTO, turned into a th- turned that into uh, three years and scored 22 goals one year. So lots of these guys, just because you're on a PTO sometimes doesn't mean you're done. It means teams, for whatever reason, you know, they spent big in the first week of free agency and they like you. And they don't have room. And I like your Brian Boyle pick, especially with the uh, the center injuries in Pittsburgh. And and he is like you want to talk about glue guys that everybody adores yep i'm not sure there's a more likable guy in the in the league right now than brian boyle like every player i've ever talked to just raves about boyle and that and i think teams were pleasantly surprised with how he played at the worlds that they were like yep. okay like maybe this guy gets a chance maybe we'll give him another crack so i mean again he's not going to be winning any races but he wore the c for team usa and you know three points in 10 tournament games two goals like Again, fourth line, you know, just a guy that shows up every night and works. Well, Frank, that wraps up another edition of the DFO Rundown brought to you by Fantrax. It's the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry. It offers the greatest season-long fantasy experience for your Dynasty Keeper or Redraft League. So if you want to get in, do your draft now before the season begins. You got to get in to Fantrax.com slash DFO Rundown. If you go there, you sign up and you're entered to win the autographed Nathan McKinnon jersey. Now, I don't think he signed it that says uh, no pizza or not, but that would be pretty cool if he did, Frank. But either way, you said like Big Z, Big Z is a donkey. (laughs) That's a good chirp. I like that. That's a funny chirp. Everybody knows it's uh, it's laughing. That's awesome. So, Frank, we will talk with you on Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're gonna be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you gotta pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.